0: Part the second, Chapter Fourteen of Dick Sands, the Boy Captain. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Alexey Talander, Davis, California. Dick Sands, the Boy Captain, by Jules Verne, translated by Ellen E. Fruer. Part the second, Chapter Fourteen, A Ray of Hope mrs weldon's first feeling on being left alone was a sense of relief at having a week's respite she had no trust in Negoro's honesty but she knew well enough that their marketable value would secure them from any personal danger and she had time to consider whether some compromise might be effected by which her husband might be spared the necessity of coming to Kazonde. upon the receipt of a letter from herself he would not hesitate for a moment in undertaking the journey but she entertained no little fear that after all perhaps her own departure might not be permitted. The slightest caprice of the part of Queen Moena would detain her as a captive, whilst as to Negoro, if one he should get the ransom he wanted, he would take no further pains in the matter. Accordingly she resolved to make the proposition that she should be conveyed to some point upon the coast, where the bargain could be concluded without Mrs. Weldon coming up the country. She had to weigh all the consequences that would follow, any refusal on her part to fall in with Nagoro's demands. Of course, he would spend the interval in preparing for his start to America, and when he should come back and find her still hesitating, was it not likely that he would find scope for his revenge in suggesting that she must be separated from her child? The very thought sent a pang through her heart, and she clasped her little boy tenderly to her side. "'What makes you so sad, Mamma?" asked Jack. "'I was thinking of your father, my child,' she answered." "'Would you not like to see him?' "'Yes, yes. Is he coming here?' "'No, my boy. He must not come here.' "'Then let us take Dick and Tom and Hercules, and go to him.' Mrs. Weldon tried to conceal her tears. "'Have you heard from Papa?' "'No.' "'Then why do you not write to him?' "'Write to him?' repeated his mother. "'This is the very thing I was thinking about.' The child little knew the agitation that was troubling her mind. Meanwhile Mrs. Weldon had another inducement, which she hardly ventured to own to herself for postponing her final decision was it absolutely impossible that her liberation should be effected by some different means altogether a few days previously she had overheard a conversation outside her hut and over this she had found herself continually pondering alvez and one of the ogg dealers discussing the future prospects of their business mutually agreed in denouncing the efforts that were being made for the suppression of the slave traffic not only by the cruises on the coast but by the intrusion of travellers and missionaries into the interior alvez averred that all these troublesome visitors ought to be exterminated forthwith but kill one and another crops up replied the dealer yes their exaggerated reports bring up a swarm of them said alvez it seemed a subject of bitter complaint that the markets of nyangwe zanzibar and the lake district had been invaded by speke and grant and others and although they congratulated each other that the western provinces had not yet been much persecuted They confessed that now that the travelling epidemic had begun to rage, there was no telling how soon a lot of European and American busybodies might be among them. Thetipo at Kasange and Behe had both been visited, and although Kasange had hitherto been left quiet, there were rumours enough that the continent was to be tramped over from east to west. Footnote. This extraordinary feat was, it is universally known, subsequently accomplished by Cameron. And it may be, continued Alvez, that that missionary fellow, Livingston, is already on his way to us. If he comes, there can be but one result. There must be freedom for all slaves in Cazonde. Freedom for the slaves in Cazonde? Though these were the words with which, in connection with Dr. Livingston's name, had arrested Mrs. Weldon's attention, and who can wonder that she pondered them over and over again, and ventured to associate them with her own prospects. Here was a ray of hope. The mere mention of Livingstone's name in association with this story seems to demand a brief survey of his career born on the nineteenth of March eighteen thirteen David Livingstone was the second of six children of a tradesman in the village of Blantyre in Lanarkshire after two years training in medicine and theology he was sent out by the London Missionary Society and landed at the Cape of Good Hope in eighteen forty with the intention of joining Moffat in South Africa. After exploring the country of the Bekwanas, he returned to Kuruman, and having married Moffat's daughter, proceeded in 1843 to found a mission in the Mabotsa Valley. After four years, he removed to Kolobeng, in the Benchuana district, 220 miles north of Kuruman, whence, in 1849, starting off with his wife, three children, and two friends, Mr. Oswald and Mr. Murray, he discovered Lake Ngami, and returned by descending the course of the Zuga the opposition of the natives had prevented his proceeding beyond lake ngami at his first visit and he made a second with no better success in a third attempt however he went his way northwards with his family and mr oswell along the chobe an affluent of the zambesi and after a difficult journey at length reached the district of the makololos of whom the chief named sebitwane joined him at Linyante the Zambezi itself was discovered at the end of june eighteen fifty one and the doctor returned to the cape for the purpose of sending his family to england his next project was to cross the continent obliquely from south to west but in this expedition he had resolved that he would risk no life but his own accompanied therefore by only a few natives he started in the following june and skirting the kalahari desert entered litubaruba on the last day of the year here he found the bechuana district much ravaged by the boers the original dutch colonists who had formed the population of the cape before it came into possession of the english after a fortnight's stay he proceeded into the heart of the district of the Bamangonatos and travelled continuously until the twenty-third of may when he arrived at lignante and was received with much honour by Sekuletu, who had recently become sovereign of the makololos a severe attack of fever detained the traveller here for a period but he made good use of the enforced rest by studying the manners of the country and became for the first time sensible of its terrible sufferings in consequence of the slave trade. Descended the course of the Chobe to the Zambezi, he next entered Naniele, and after visiting Katonga and Libanta, advanced to the point of confluence of the Liva with the Zambezi, where he determined upon ascending the former as far as the Portuguese possessions in the west. It was an undertaking, however, that required considerable preparation, so that it was necessary for him to return to Lignante. On the 11th of November he started again, he was accompanied by twenty-seven Makololos, and ascended the Till in the territory of the Balonda. Here he reached a spot where it received the waters of his tributary, the Makondo. It was the first time a white man had ever penetrated so far. Proceeding on their way, they arrived at the residence of Shinte, the most powerful of the chieftains of the Balonda, by whom they were well received, and having met with equal kindness from Katima, a ruler on the other side of Lemba, they encamped on the twentieth of february eighteen fifty three on the banks of lake de lolo here it was that the real difficulty commenced the arduous travelling the attacks on the natives and their exorbitant demands the conspiracies of his own attendants and their desertions would soon have caused any one of less energy to abandon his enterprise but david livingstone was not a man to be daunted resolutely he pers- persevered and on the fourth of april reached the banks of the coango the stream that forms the frontier of the portuguese possessions and joined the zaire on the north six days later he passed through kasange here it was that alvez had seen him on the thirty-first of may he arrived at st paul de luanda having traversed this continent in about two years it was not long however before he was off again following the banks of the Coanza, the river which was to bring such trying experiences to dick sands and his party he reached the lumbe and having met numbers of slave caravans on his way again passed through kasange crossed the kawango and reached the zambezi at kawawa by the eighth of the following june he was again at lake de lolo and descending the river he re-entered Linyante. here he stayed till the third of november where he commenced his second great journey which was to carry him completely across africa from west to east after visiting the famed victoria falls the intrepid explorer quitted the zambezi and took a north-easterly route the transit of the territory of the patokas a people brutalized by the inhalation of hemp a visit to Simalimboni, the powerful chief of the district, the passage of the Cafoni, a visit to King Mburuma, an inspection of the ruins of Zumbo, an old Portuguese town, a meeting with the chief Mpende, at that time at war with the Portuguese. These were the principal events of this journey. And on the 22nd of April, Livingston left Tete, and having descended this river as far as its delta, reached Kilimane, just four years after his departure from the Cape. On the 12th of July he embarked for the Mauritius, and on the 22nd of December, 1856, he landed in England after an absence of sixteen years. Loaded with honours by the geographical societies of London and Paris, brilliantly entertained by all ranks, it would have been no matter of surprise if he had surrendered himself to a well-earned repose, but no thought of permanent rest occurred to him, and on the 1st of March, 1858, accompanied by his brother Charles, Captain Beddingford, Dr. Co- dr miller mr thornton and mr Baines. he started again with the intention of exploring the basin of the zambesi and arrived in due time at the coast of mozambique the party ascended the great river by the congoan mouth they were on board a small steamer named the ma robert and reached tete on the eighth of september during the following year they investigated the lower course of the zambesi and its left affluent the shire and having visited lake shirwa they explored the territory of the Manganyas and discovered Lake Nyasa. In August 1860, they returned to the Victoria Falls. Early in the following year, Bishop Mackenzie and his missionary staff arrived at the mouth of the Zambezi. In March, an exploration of the Rovuma was made on board the Pioneer, the exploring party returning afterwards to Lake Nyasa, where they remained a considerable time. The 30th of January 1862 was signalized by the arrival of Mrs. Livingston, by the addition of another steamer, the Lake Lady Nyassa, but the happiness of reunion was very transient. It was but a short time before the enthusiastic Bishop Mackenzie succumbed to the unhealthiness of the climate, and on the twenty seventh of April Mrs. Livingston expired in her husband's arms. A second investigation of the Rivuma soon followed, and at the end of November the doctor returned to the Zambesi and reascended the Shire. In the spring of eighteen oh three he lost his companion, Mr Thornton, and as his brother and dr Kurt were both much debilitated he insisted upon their return to europe while he himself returned for the third time to lake nyassa and completed the hydrological survey which already he had begun a few months later once more found him at the mouth of the zambesi thence he crossed over to zanzibar and after five years absence arrived in london where he published his work the exploration of the zambesi and its affluence Still unwearied and insatiable in his longings, he was back again in Zanzibar, at the commencement of 1866, ready to begin his fourth journey, this time attended only by a few sepoys and negroes. Witnessing on his way some horrible scenes which were perpetrated as the result of the prosecution of the slave trade, he proceeded to Makolose, on the shores of Lake Nyasa, where nearly all his attendants deserted him, and returned to Zanzibar with the report that he was dead. Dr. Livingstone, meanwhile, was not only alive, but undaunted in his determination to visit the country between the two lakes Nyasa and Tanganyika. With none to guide him except a few natives, he crossed the Loangona, and in the following April discovered Lake Liumba. Here he lay for a whole month hovering between life and death, but rallying a little, he pushed on the north shore of Lake Moero. Taking up his quarters at Kazambe for six weeks, he made two separate explorations of the lake and then started farther northwards intending to reach ujiji an important town upon lake tanganyika overtaken however by floods and again abandoned by his servants he was obliged to retrace his steps six weeks afterwards he had made his way southwards to the great lake banguolo whence once more he started towards tanganyika this last effort was most trying and the doctor had grown so weak that he was obliged to be carried but he reached ujiji where he was gratified by finding some supplies that had been thoughtfully forwarded to him by the oriental society at calcutta his great aim now was to ascend the lake and reach the sources of the nile on the twenty-first of september he was at bambare in the country of the cannibal manuema upon the lualaba the river afterwards ascertained by stanley to be the upper zaire or congo at Mamobella the doctor was ill for twenty four days, tended only by three followers who continued faithful. But in July he made a vigorous effort, and although he was reduced to a skeleton, made his way back to Ajiji. During this long time no tidings of Livingston reached Europe, and many were the misgivings lest the rumours of his death were only too true. He was himself too, almost despairing as to receiving any help. But help was closer at hand than he thought. On the 3rd of November, only eleven days after his return to Ujiji, some gunshots were heard within half a mile of the lake. The doctor went out to ascertain whence they proceeded, and had not gone far before a white man stood before him. "'You are Dr. Livingston, I presume?' said the stranger, raising his cap. "'Yes, sir, I am Dr. Livingston, and I am happy to see you,' answered the doctor, smiling kindly. The two shook each other warmly by the hand. The new arrival was Henry Stanley, the correspondent of the New York Herald, who had been sent out by Mr. Bennett the editor, in search of the great African explorer. On receiving his orders in October 1870, without a day's unnecessary delay, he embarked at Bombay for Zanzibar, and after a journey involving considerable peril, had arrived safely at Ujiji. Very soon the two travellers found themselves on the best of terms, and set out together on an excursion to the north of Count Tanganyika. They proceeded as far as Cape Magala, and decided that the chief outlet of the lake must be an affluent of the Lualaba a conclusion that was subsequently confirmed by Cameron. Towards the end of the year, Stanley began to prepare to return. Livingston accompanied him as far as Quixada, and on the third of the following March, they parted. You are done for me what few men would venture to do. I am truly grateful, said Livingston. Stanley could scarcely repress his tears as he expressed his hope that the doctor might be spared to return to his friends safe and well. Good-bye, said Stanley, choked with emotion. Good-bye, answered the veteran feebly thus they parted and in july 1872 stanley had landed at marseilles again david livingstone resumed his researches in the interior after remaining five months at quihara he gathered together a retinue consisting of his faithful followers susie chuma amoda and jacob wainwright and fifty-six men sent to him by stanley and lost no time in proceeding towards the south of tanganyika in the course of the ensuing month the caravan encountered some frightful storms but succeeded in reaching Mua they had previously been in extreme drought which was now followed by the rainy season which entailed the loss of many of the beasts of burden in consequence of the bites of the tsetse on the twenty-fourth of january they were at chitunque and in april after running the east of lake Bangweolo, they made their way towards the village of Chitambo. at this point it was that Livingstone had parted company with certain slave-dealers who had carried the information to old alvez that the missionary traveller would very likely proceed by way of luanda to Cazonde. By on the 13th of June, the very day before, Nagora reckoned on obtaining from Mrs. Weldon the letter which should be the means of securing him a hundred thousand dollars. Tidings were circulated in the district that on the 1st of May Dr. Livingstone had breathed his last. The report proved perfectly true. On the twenty-ninth of April the caravan had reached the village of Titambo, the doctor so unwell that he was carried on a litter. The following night he was in great pain, and after repeatedly murmuring in a low voice, Oh dear! Oh dear! he fell into a kind of stupor. A short time afterwards, he called up Susie, and having asked for some medicine, told his attendant that he should not require anything more. You can go now. At about four o'clock the next morning, when an anxious visit was made to his room, the doctor was found kneeling by his bedside, his head in his hands, in the attitude of prayer. Susie touched him, but his forehead was icy with the coldness of death he had died in the night. His body was carried by those who loved him, and in spite of many obstacles, was brought to Zanzibar. Whence, nine months after his death, it was conveyed to England. On the twelfth of April, eighteen seventy four, it was interred in Westminster Abbey, counted worthy to be deposited among those whom the country most delights to honor. End of part the second. Chapter fourteen. Recording by Alex Zetlander, Davis, California. com